amen and amen. You may be seated. And let's go to this Jesus that we've been sitting about, that we've been celebrating his resurrection in prayer. Would you please pray with me? Father, we just come to you in the name of your son, the resurrected Lord. And God, we know, we know, we know, we know that you love us because you sent us your son, Jesus. You loved us first. And we just respond in great joy, great hope, great faith today, God. I pray that each one listening both here and online would, would know the resurrected Lord today, that their lives would be changed, God. And I just pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And God's people said, amen, amen and amen. Well, have you found redemption yet? Have you found redemption yet? Maybe some of you didn't know you needed redemption. Some of you are saying, well, what is redemption? I'm not sure what redemption is. Redemption is simply being bought back, to buy back. You're saying, well, I didn't know I needed buying back. Well, did you see the interest rates go up this week at all? Did you see that at all? loans and mortgages going up. And yet, I want to make clear today that redemption goes beyond financial freedom. Redemption is supposed to impact every part of our lives. This past week, our, um, our staff had some training. We have a monthly training session every uh, month. And it, uh, we take on different topics, and this week we invited a guest speaker, Jaya James from the Hope House in Guelph, Ontario, and she came and uh, she explained the, the hand of hope and the five dimensions of well-being, and um, maybe you can relate to this. She talked about the thumb represents our physical well-being, and then our index finger represents our spiritual well-being. Our, our middle finger represents our emotional well-being. Our ring finger represents our relational well-being. And then the pinky, the little finger, represents our financial well-being. And the, the pinky, the, the little finger, is the smallest. It's the weakest. Because if you have the physical and the spiritual and the emotional and relational, often your finances are in pretty decent shape. Right? And it was such a reminder that we need God to impact us in every part of our life, to redeem every area of our life. And that should have packed our community. This past Friday, Good Friday, we talked about the record of debts, our sins. As we wrote down some of these Worrying constantly, spreading gospel about a friend. There's a communal aspect, isn't there, to these debts? And so redemption is supposed to impact every area of our life. As I thought about a story of redemption, one that came to mind, it's one of my favorites. It's, a, it's our story. It's, it's Temple's story of redemption. So you see, most redemptions have been happening long before we ever got on the scene. God's been doing something in our lives before you ever got here. And I believe that you're here for a purpose. I want to remind you that what happened was in 1955, 
a group of of people living in Preston, Ontario, decided they wanted to to start a church. And they they gathered, uh, just a few of them, just over a dozen or so of them, and um, they, they really wanted people to know the message of this Sunday, that Jesus had died for their sins and rose again. And so they started a church. And um, it, was, it was in the middle 50s, right after the World War II, and, uh, and Preston was growing with all sorts of manufacturing, and, and yet it was hard to get a loan, a mortgage for the church. And so what they did was they sold bonds and they, they, um, they went into debt. And what would happen in our church through the first almost 60 years was we were, we were in debt. Well, in 2012, um, I had the privilege of joining you as a, uh, on staff here as one of your pastors. And, and um, 13 days into my tenure, uh, we got served with a lawsuit. And it was based on the fact that um, there was some past abuse by one of our leaders that had hurt some of our kids. And that person was in jail. And... Um, you might say, why would we talk about that on the Easter Sunday? The, 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 here's the hope. Here's the hope. You know, if we can't deal with, with what's really going on in our lives and in our past and our struggles, then does the gospel really apply to every aspect of our lives, which I said earlier? So we went through this lawsuit, and um, fast forward two years, and uh, uh, our goal during that time as a church was, was twofold. One, to chase the truth, and wherever it led, we would, we would follow it. If we'd done wrong, then we would own it. And the second was that we would seek reconciliation with these people. And so two years later, the, um, the plaintiffs came back to us with an offer. And remember I told you we had been in debt, and when our church had been in debt our whole existence. And uh, we met that night. We fasted and prayed as a church, and the elders and deacons met. And uh, we went over forgiveness and reconciliation and lawsuit as what the Bible taught us. We, we did a Bible study. And that day we had received a letter from, um, from someone anonymous that we didn't know, and it was addressed to our treasurer. And so I went on to explain what the offer was to our leadership team, our elders and deacons, and... Um, the, uh, the treasurer at that time opened up this letter and he asked me, what was the amount that the plaintiffs were asking for? And I told him the amount. And the treasurer said, well, this is a bequest for the exact same amount of money that is needed in this lawsuit. Remember, we didn't have money at that time. But we thought, this is, this is a gift from God to these people because he loves them. He cares about them. And so God just opened up the door. The layer of lawyers was gone. And then we could pursue reconciliation with them. And we did. We had a forgiveness Sunday where we, we really let the Lord examine our hearts to see if there's anything that we need to get right with people in any situation in our community. God took care of our relational debt before he took care of our financial debt. A couple months later, we decided to try to, to pay down some of our financial debt. And uh, maybe some of you recall this, we had a, a target of $90,000 to get rid of our bank loan. 
Well, guess how much we raised? 290000 Wiped out all of our debt. That's, a, that's how great our God is. He's an amazing, amazing God. And out of that enabled us to continue to, to go forward, whereas at one moment we thought, are we going to have to shut the church down? Or what are we going to do? Start again? But since then, we've been able to train up missionaries, um, train interns, send them out as gospel ministry. We've been able to plant a church, Restoration Church, which is meeting today, praise God, down in the South Cambridge, uh, top of Street Hall. And, and we've been able to see what God provide for this building. God is amazing, isn't he? God is doing redemptive things, not just 2,000 years ago, but now. And redemption affects our entire lives and community. This brings us to another story of redemption. It's the story of a man named Job. It's guy's name spelled Job, okay? Uh, but his name is actually how you pronounce it is Job. And at one time, Job was the richest and most righteous man in the ancient Near East. In the first chapter of Job, a, a book in the Old Testament, it says he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. More importantly, Job had 10 children, 10 adult children, seven sons and three daughters. This man was blessed. He was the most righteous man in the East, as well as being the most rich man in the east and then one day Satan comes and he wants to attack God through Job and he asked God to cause Job to suffer so that Job would stop trusting in God Satan thought he could get Job to curse him sometimes God allows suffering to show how faithful he is and in this case he did in Job's life he allowed Job to experience suffering. And so in one day, through the work of Satan, Satan, Job doesn't, knows nothing about this. Job loses all his business, all his employees, and the worst thing is he lost all of his kids. These, these raiders came in and they, um, they took uh, all of his, his sheep and his camels and and then a wind came and blew down this house where, where all of his kids were celebrating a festival, not unlike today. Can you imagine having that type of loss all in one day? But it got worse. Job was covered with these painful boils all over his skin. And then one day, a few, a few days, a month later, after all this tremendous suffering, Job's three friends show up. Have you ever had friends show up in the midst of suffering? And often they don't say exactly the right thing. Sometimes they say things that are actually hurtful, that aren't helpful. Well, that's what happened with Job's friends. In fact, in Job 19, 19 through 22, if you want to turn to Job 19, I'm going to read verses 19 through 22, and, and you'll be up on the screen in a moment, but I'm just going to give you the context. This is kind of the summary of how Job felt about his friends. In Job 19, 19, it says, All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I have loved have turned against me. Can anybody relate to that? Your closest of closest friends have turned against you. 
And then verse 20, my bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I've escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me, have mercy on me, O you my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why have you not satisfied? Why were you not satisfied with my flesh? Job is pretty downcast at this moment, don't you think? But let's read what he says, and let's, you can stand with the reading of God's word in this, this section. This is the, 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 our chapter for the week. This is the, the, the chapter I want you to focus in on as your small groups meet. And, um, Job 19, 23-27. Oh, that my words are written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin have been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart fades within me. May we have such a desire to see God. You may be seated. Despite all the suffering and questioning whether God was just, Job put his hope in his Redeemer. As I look around this room, in fact, I dare say all of us have gone through a time of suffering of late, haven't we? It's been a tough couple years. Job felt like God was unjustly against him. And so he was bringing God to court. He was putting God on trial. Interesting, God was also put on trial by Satan. However, unlike Satan, who thought he might be successful, Job never thought that. Job thought that he could make some laments against God, but he knew that there was hope when his Redeemer came. And this Redeemer that Job wanted to write about, look at it, verse 23 and 24 again. Oh, that my words are written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. Unbeknownst to Job, his words were written in the Bible. You're reading them right now, which was outlasted any inscription on any rock that Job could have scratched upon. So many people have tried to wipe the Bible off the face of the earth, and they've not succeeded. That's because the Word of God stands forever. And the Word of God that we're talking about today, that Job is recorded, he describes his Redeemer. What questions would you write about your Redeemer? Maybe that's something to do today, in the midst of all the Easter dinners or time with family, to take the time just to write a letter about your Redeemer and thank him for what he's done. How he saved you. What would you write about Jesus? Job says something in Job 19.25 that, that Easter Sunday fulfills. For I know my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. Remember, Job was declaring this during the time of the patriarchs, maybe around the time of Abraham. And so this was 2,000 years before Christ was born. 2,000 years. And did you catch that weird phrase that he says? 
Verse 25, and at last he will stand upon the earth. Why would Job say that? Don't all human beings stand on the earth? Where else could they stand? Well, this is why I believe that Job didn't fully understand what he was talking about, but he actually was looking to heaven for his hope. That his Redeemer would come from heaven. And that Redeemer would stand upon the earth. That's what I talked about last week when we, we learned when people attack our, our, our faithfulness and accuse us of unfaithfulness. We need to cry out to God to seek the truth of God's word. And the last response was to trust in the witness of heaven. The witness of heaven came from, Job already talked about this in Job 16, 19. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who testifies for me is on high. This is more than a hint that Job thought his Redeemer would come from heaven. And this makes sense because if you're bringing a lawsuit against God, you better find a witness that's up in heaven. What Job didn't realize is that his witness and redeemer he needed was actually God's son. We know him as Jesus, the Messiah. Job wasn't looking for somebody to deliver him out of bondage of sin because he was a, a blameless man who feared God. For, for Job, redeemer meant to be rescued from harm. Job needed rescuing from suffering. I bet there's some here today that just feel, I need rescuing from suffering. And so Job is essentially saying, when my Redeemer lives, my champion lives. I mean, I love sports. I love when my team, my team wins. Don't you? Our champions live. We have one champion. Big C champion. Jesus Christ. See, Job not only needed rescuing, he needed redemption. He needed redemption from his sins. You can be blameless and still be in the wrong. You're doing it innocently. You don't realize the cause and harm that you, you are, are, are doing in someone's life. Our courts in Canada understand this when a minor commits a crime. They're not punished to the same extent, and actually their record is not kept after age 18. The problem with you and I is that no matter how young you are, our sins are against God. And he remembers those sins. And we need redemption. This is why we find hope if we want to jump to the New Testament. Romans chapter verse 23 we find the answer for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God now that's an unpopular message today at times that we have sinned we've done wrong against God some of you here today or listening online may not like to admit that you've sinned and are guilty but you and I both know that none of us have been perfect have we We've kept God's rules. We've kept, we've never hurt anybody. We've done wrong. We've sinned. 
Others of you are, okay, well, big deal. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm not going to live in this guilt. I mean, you're indifferent to your guilt. You're past your guilt. You believe there's no moral absolute truth. Then guilt's just a feeling, not a legal verdict against you. If that's you, look at the second part of the verse. Fall short of the glory of God. See, God created you. He created you with a purpose and a meaning and an intent so that you would glorify him. So that's why you were created. And yet all of us have fallen. We've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. We were meant to be good stewards and caregivers of this earth. And yet the sad news is that we've all failed. So we're not measuring up to God's law or God's glory. And we need rescue and redemption. And here's where we move from Job to Jesus. The next verse in Romans 3.24 says this. And are justified. I'll explain that word in a moment. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Like a courtroom drama scene that turns everything on its head, we find that God, who is on trial with Job and with many of us, he's actually the judge. And we are in trial for our sins. We are guilty. But God, in his grace, he justifies us. Which means that he declares us righteous. Not guilty. That's what it means. Justification means to declare not guilty. And justif God justifies us because of Jesus. However, back to remember I said that God is, God is a judge. Many people put him on trial, but God's actually the judge. Well, is God a good judge? Because by me declaring that you're no longer guilty, what, what does he do with sin? I mean, we, we see this on the news every day. My Apple News feed always says about the atrocities that are happening in Ukraine and how, how people need to be brought to justice for what they've done. And if God would just say, I'm just going to overlook this, I'm just going to say you're declared guilty and there's no payment for sins, then is God really a good judge? Well, the answer is found in his son, Jesus Christ. And the whole concept of redemption. Notice the last part of that verse. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We were guilty. But he brought us back from the slave market of sin. Sometimes it's said of athletes that they redeem themselves. That they make a good play after a bad play. But I want to tell you today that we can't redeem ourselves. Not from, not from all that we've done. We have this record of debts. This record of debts that's hanging with us. And maybe today you walked in with lots of guilt because of that. Here's the really good news. It's Sunday. And our Redeemer lives. And the record of debt's gone. Amen? Today, 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 we can, we can understand something God, that Job could not foresee. His Redeemer and our Redeemer is the same person. 
Jesus came from heaven. He stood on earth. He lived a sinless and perfect life. And he died on that cross so that we might have our sins forgiven and they're paid for. We're so that we can be declared just, justified, and we can experience redemption. And because of that, and him rising from the grave, there's hope today. Job hints at this. He says, after verse 26 of Job 19, after my skin has thus been destroyed, and yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eye shall behold, and not another, my heart faints within me. Job knew he would die. He also knew he would see God. And there was no one else that he would, he would put his trust in, not another. And despite all the suffering, Job was excited. His heart faded within him. Let me say that again and personalize it for you. I know that many of you are suffering. Suffering from death. As it's touched your life from lost loved ones. Suffering from, from debt. Suffering from, from demons. Suffering from disease. There's hope. Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, has risen from the grave and we will see the risen Lord someday. We're going to stand before him in judgment. And based on what you do today in believing in Jesus will matter for all eternity. Jesus was abused and beaten and mocked and crucified on a cruel cross for our sins and transgressions. But he rose from the grave. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Is Jesus your redeemer? And he lives. If so, you can have eternal life. And we want the truth, this good news, this gospel to be like a super spreader event that you tell others about it. Redemption in your family. Redemption in your workplace. Redemption in your schools. Redemption in our community. Relationships can be forgiven and healed like I described at the beginning of this message. You can find redemption from all your record of debts if you trust in this Jesus. So I'm going to ask something that we don't often do here, maybe not enough. But Jesus stood on that cross for you. If today you said, God, you've been tugging on my heart, and I want to believe in this Jesus, that Jesus has risen from the grave and he's my redeemer. And you've never done that. You've never trusted in Christ. I'm going to ask that you stand at this time because Jesus stood for you. It was many years ago on Resurrection Sunday that I gave my life to Christ. I trusted in Christ. Praise the Lord. Maybe there's others of you today who redemption... You, you've continued to live in the, the, mar, the slave market of sin. That you have, there's an area of your life that you're not letting Jesus redeem. And you want him to redeem that in your life today. You want to repent of that. You too can stand. Jesus wants to redeem every part of it. My redeemer lives. He's here to transform your life. If that's you today, you can stand as well. And then others of you, maybe today you want to stand just because 
I want to be with that person. I want to say I'm with them. I want to tell others about this story of redemption. You too can stand. I'm going to ask our, our uh, worship team to come, and we're going to sing one final song. And if you want people to just pray with you, um, we'll have our elders come up right now, and, and they can pray with you. Whatever, whatever you're going through, whatever hope, maybe, maybe today you can find a, a renewed sense in your life of Christ's redemption. He lives. He lives, he lives, he lives. And that redemption is still working. It's transforming power. So as the elders come on up, we'll, we'll pray for you and, and, uh, and worship team lead us in one final song.